everyone. This is Chad, and you're listening to Mission Daily. Today's interview is with the CEO of Deloitte Consulting, a massive 56,000-person private company, the fourth largest company that's private in America. With over $46 billion in annual revenue, Deloitte is a powerhouse. As I say in the interview, it feels like Deloitte is everywhere sometimes. When you look at the advertising, it's just all over the place. But what exactly does Deloitte do? How'd they get started? And what were some of their big wins that catapulted them from a small consultancy into a large one? In today's interview, you're going to hear about that and so much more as I sit down with Dan Helfrich. Dan's the CEO of Deloitte Consulting. Dan and I talk about a wide-ranging market basket, I guess, of topics, including hosting men's soccer, how he got his start at Georgetown, where he received his MBA. He got started at Deloitte about 21 years ago and rose from the ranks to become CEO and chairman, a position he never thought that he would hold. This is a great interview. You're going to learn a ton. Let's get into it. Time to pay the creatives and media makers at Mission. We couldn't do it without a world-class sponsor and ally whose services we use, Trinet. As a business owner, you can't be afraid to outsource what you're not good at. I'm a creative who gets paid to talk, but there is a lot I'm not good at, like complex HR issues. That's why I outsource my HR challenges to the experts at Trinet. Their experts in software help us at Mission with payroll, benefits, compliance, and more. And Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to your industry. Whether your team is 10 people or 1,000, Trinet has you covered. Help support Mission Daily and check out Trinet for your HR needs today. Dan, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Chad. We are recording now. We were bantering a little bit before and talking and... I can't wait to get into some of your stories today. It's an honor to have you here. You're running a small little company, Deloitte. That's what they tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So 56,000 people. Depending on the day, plus or minus a couple, we probably have hired a couple hundred people today. But yeah, around 56,000 folks. The size and scope of that is really, really massive. And when you were in grad school at Georgetown, when you were up and coming in the business world, or maybe 21 years ago at Deloitte, did you ever think you'd be here? Heck no. Yeah. And I frankly never had the ambition to be here either. That's fascinating. And that's what I want to drill in on there, because I think often we think that ambition or this like obsessive desire to get somewhere is a prerequisite to something. But do you think that not having that direct ambition maybe made you more open to opportunities, more relaxed, more? All of the above. But I wouldn't I would certainly not, nor would anyone who was sort of assessing me or close to me say, I'm a person without ambition. Right. Uh, but I've always been a person without ambition about a specific role or a specific title or a specific definition of success that's defined in someone's corporate hierarchy. My ambition's been about experience accumulation. My ambition's been about challenge. My ambition's been about how can I have the greatest impact on the greatest number of people. And so like the I've, first principles of ambition then. Yeah, I think yeah. that's I think that's right. And so but to your point, I do see people all the time in all walks of life who develop this desire that I need to get to position A or I need to achieve this career milestone in X number of years. And I think 
that is so mentally constraining and that's so stress-inducing to have those kinds of clearly defined expectations hanging over your head that I think people who, who have freer minds are more effective. Yes. It seems like the ultimate prison, like a prison where you can never win. Like you're expecting yourself to predict the future and achieve this specific outcome. Not a lot of fun. Speaking of fun though, what were some of the early days at Deloitte like? Not saying that things aren't fun now, but what were some of like your fun memories looking back of getting started, learning about things, learning the culture? Yeah. So um, things, by the way, are really fun now, but they're yeah. definitely different. And and I have been here for 21 years and I'd say all 21 have been have been pretty fun. The early days for me were defined by starting new things. So when I think of the joy I had in, let's say, the first five years of my career here, they're new and create were probably the the adjective and the verb that were the most common. So new skills, you know, just figuring out how to, you know, we're in a professional services business. How do I convince as a 23-year-old with a economics degree from Georgetown that I have insight and perspective to help advise a client that's been in a senior role and doing their job for a couple decades. So you develop really important new skills in order to relate and in order to grow and then create, you know, I think back incredibly fondly to the decision we made to start a federal government consulting business. And if, if you dial it back to, let's say, the year 2000, and, you know, I'd been at the firm for two or three years, and we had no, essentially no business with the federal government. And a group of us, and I was fortunate to be tagging along with the people who had the true vision, said, well, hold on a second. We say we want to solve or address the world's most complicated problems and so many of those have a tie to the U.S. federal government. So many of the societal issues that we have ambition to help address have an access to the federal government. So how can we say that's our ambition if we don't have a practice there? And so the firm, to its credit, allowed some of us to essentially start a small business from within the protection of a, a well-funded large partnership and creating that practice from scratch. That was fun. That's Really, really fascinating. I think it was, you know, looking back, obviously the benefit of hindsight is pretty prescient. You know, the 2000 time frame where, you know, leading up to the attacks of September 11th and what followed where, you know, you, I believe, spearheaded the creation of the TSA and everything. You know, what was that before and after process like? And how did that opportunity come about to help better protect the country? There never was before and will never be again a consulting experience that is as gratifying in so many ways as helping the formation of Homeland Security and the formation of TSA in the wake of 9-11. And rewind back to those days when, you know, TSA was first getting created in the wake of 9-11 and boy, were there a lot of patriots rallying together, the private sector loaning executives, the government, a whole government approach, bringing people from all kinds of different agencies with this incredible shared passion to protect the country in new ways while facilitating travel and facilitating commerce. Those dual missions were incredibly important. And so 
before, the Deloitte before, was a spunky, very underscale and sort of, but very ambitious newcomer. The Deloitte after the experience of helping TSA and DHS, DHS stand up was a Deloitte that had a qualification that mattered because we'd helped the government do something important. But more importantly, it was a Deloitte that said, oh my gosh, the meaning that can come from doing work with this set of clients and the outcomes we can help facilitate them achieving has no peer. And so our conviction to think that we could build the greatest government consulting business in complete tandem and without separation from a great business serving our commercial clients because there would be bi-directional benefit. We had conviction from that day forward and it's, it's played out for sure. Yeah, I think conviction is a key element to any business, but you don't get it until you do the thing, right? Or launch the new venture. Totally. And in the process of that, I'm sure you stumbled on a whole host of other opportunities in the government sector. And with so many opportunities, you know, it's been said that the CEO's job is choosing what not to do. I'm curious about how you analyzed what not to do at that point. How did you keep things focused when, you know, you're coming off of a big success like that? You probably see dozens and dozens of opportunities in the government sector. So how did you like narrow those down and, and go about choosing? Look, it's uh, the same formula we use then. I use then is the same formula I use today, which is, I would say, equal parts analytical and gut. And the analytical part is, you know, pretty straightforward. And actually, in a business like government consulting, it's easier because data is more widely available. The government has to publish its budgets and uh, its contracts and what they're going to spend on. So you do analysis and you say, where are there places where a firm that has expertise from the private sector that's coming in and newer, where could we break in where the barriers to entry are lower? So you do that analysis and you come up with a consideration set. But then you sit and look at that consideration set and say, where is our team passionate? You say, where are there relationships that we have or don't have that could help us get in the door? And you say, where are we as a team, still this spunky spirited team that has big ambition, but is still pretty small. Where are we going to find the most mission passion? And mission, which I know is the name of your company and something that as a veteran, you understand in you know incredible ways, mission becomes really important to me in any organization. And so we ended up making the final calls based on what missions can we, can we help enable most fundamentally? I love that. Thanks for the shout out, by the way. And when you're enabling missions and empowering people, that's, that's really inspiring work. When you were doing that work and figuring out like how you're building your team's How'd you go about thinking about that and building, you know, your own coalition of the willing in Deloitte to accomplish big things? How'd you build friendships, business partnerships? What was your mindset like there? My mindset was that I and we have the potential to give a gift to people. And that gift was this intersection of getting to be part of something hyper-growing. So if you're in business, no matter what walk of life, the chance to help be on the earlier stage of creating something that you know is growth 
that's a gift to give people. But the second gift I could offer people is this gift of delivering mission impact to assist the public sector from the vantage point of the private sector. That gift is incredibly compelling to a wide variety of people. And so this coalition that's interested in that, both of those things, is a really broad coalition. And so you're able to attract the traditional consultant types who might be at a Georgetown or at a Duke or at a Wharton and say, come on board and do that. You're able to attract people who've been in the nonprofit sector who may be a little frustrated with the nonprofits and want to be in more business, but still have that mindset that they want to serve the public good. You're able to attract veterans who are coming out of their active duty and are trying to figure out what to do next, who like DC and who can absolutely never get the mission out of their blood. And you give them an opportunity to start a second career from that platform. And so that platform, those two gifts were able to allow us to recruit and then to retain and build a really interesting, diverse coalition. And then when you have the diverse coalition, the culture you're able to build with that as the foundation is super special. And one of the things that has kept me at the firm for 21 years, and I feel in my current role that I am the protector of and the, you know, the enhancer of is culture. I believe ours is incredibly unique. It is down to earth. It is service oriented. It is about passion and delivering outcomes for other people. And, you know, we are able to start with that culture in that particular niche of Deloitte from a great spot. And I think one of the greatest spots that Deloitte is in, and this might be presumptuous, maybe it's not, is it's still a private company. And I think that's fascinating. It offers a whole host of benefits. What are some of the pros and cons in your mind of you know private versus public? And why does Deloitte, if you can comment on it, choose to remain private? Sure. So I don't know what the cons are. Um, <laughs> I can tell you what I experience as the pros. Not only are we private, but we're a partnership. And partnership is a word that has real meaning. And that means that the leaders of the business are all peers that, you know, I might have the title I have for now and someone else might have a different title. But at the end of the day, we're all peers. We're all partners and, and leaders in our firm. And that starting place for culture is very difficult to replicate, you know, in a public company. And then on a more practical basis, the fact that I don't have to do quarterly earnings calls with with Wall Street. A little less noise there. Makes my schedule a little easier. And it makes making investments for the medium and long term a little simpler to make because the constituencies you're serving are narrower than the constituencies you're serving when you have outside investors. Yeah, I think that would help with focus and just like a whole host of other things. And it sounds like the partnership model, I'm not that familiar with it, but it, it kind of feels more like, uh, you know, a mini republic in a sense where, you know, is that a fair analogy or what do you think about that? When I hear republic, it depends on the, the <laughs> gotcha. nation that I hear after republic. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Good point. Good point. And I guess in the, the classical, yeah, in maybe the classical in the classical sense, sense of like, yeah, the American sense. Yeah. That's really fascinating. And Dan, when you're based in McLean and when you're working, I know you're traveling a lot. How are you 
balancing and kind of structuring your days? Like when you got here, you know, you were on calls and you know, taking meetings. How do you kind of like find the, the right balance or is it just get things done? Oh, no, I take it very seriously that for me to be effective in my role, I better be wildly effective as a father of four kids. I better be a great brother to my six siblings. I better be a great spouse to Christy. I better be physically fit. So the energy level I bring every day is good. And so I view protecting, nurturing, enhancing my own well-being as as or more important than anything I contribute on a day-to-day basis to the operations of the firm, full stop. Now, how does that translate every day? There's some things that are constant. Exercise to me is a constant every day. You're a morning exercise I'm guy? I'm a morning or? exerciser every day. And Cardio, weightlifting, what are you doing? All the above, some core work, some weights, cardio of varying things. We do have a Peloton at the house, so when I'm home, uh, I'm doing Peloton occasionally. And so all the above. And trail running and hiking are my favorite things. I love being in the mountains and bounding around and scrambling up rocks and and hills, et cetera. So exercise is a constant. Smoothies are a constant. I have to have a good protein smoothie. My kids tell me all the time that I will be perfectly fine as an octogenarian because (laughs) liquid diet, if I could just have soup and smoothies all day long, totally fine. And then... I think all of us need to have the confidence, and I really do think it's confidence, to make choices that in the moment might feel like you're compromising some near-term moment professionally to nurture something that matters to you personally. And so we all, at different points in our life, those moments that you choose are different. If you're a caregiver for aging parents versus a new parent versus you just have, you know, hobbies outside the office that matter to you. And one of the things I talk to my team, and when I say my team, I'm talking about the whole 56,000 person team that I talk to them about all the time is the choice I've made to continue being a sports broadcaster, even while I have done all the things that I've done in the firm, including my role today. I am broadcasting on a Wednesday afternoon in the fall at 2.15, if Georgetown University has a soccer home game, I am broadcasting that game on the internet or on TV. And I've been doing it for 15 or 16 years, and I've only missed three games in 15 or 16 years broadcasting. And that means that I've made choices to prioritize that over, quote-unquote, important meeting X or Y that happened on a day. And That's because I've been confident that Deloitte wants me to be my best self. They want me to be well. And that gives me the confidence to make the choice that, you know, I have this passion that matters to me personally. And so I'm going to not sacrifice that passion for the day job. That's really, really fascinating. And you've been doing it for 15 or 16 years. When you got started, were there, you know, was that there that self-critical voice in your head that was saying you should be working? And how did you shut it off if you ever really encountered that? I did, though. I would say that voice, that uh, voice in my head is a quieter or more absent voice and always has been than I see in a lot of my team members. And I so often talk to folks about how to get that voice to quiet down so that you they're not 
you know, I use the expression mental gymnastics that people are going through mental gymnastics of, oh boy, if I go to my child's concert and I miss this important meeting with the Deloitte partner, then, oh my gosh, three, four, five, six terrible things are going to happen as a result of that one decision. Those mental gymnastics are very unhealthy and they create stress and ultimately they create resentment because people start to believe that their employer is preventing them from achieving the well-being or balance that they seek. And I think that's such a tragedy when that happens. And so my encouragement to everyone, and this is what I say to my own team, and I'd say it to people in other organizations is try, try the thing that you're worried that if you do it, it's going to have negative consequences. And then see if those negative consequences actually occur. And if they do, then maybe you were right and your hypothesis was right about you not being able to have the balance you want. But in many cases, you'll actually see that it works out just fine. Yeah, that self-worth calculus is a losing <laughs> losing proposition. <laughs> totally. When you are unplugging from work or you're maybe traveling you know, to and from or after your soccer announcements and <laughs> things like that, what are you doing to unplug? Are you reading a lot? Are you a big books guy? Are you, you know, podcasts? Are you watching something on Netflix? Are you catching up with your kids? What are you doing on the in-between times? That's, you you kind of covered it all with yeah. those things. <laughs> TV-wise, live sports is the TV I find myself watching. And the only show we watch as a family still after all these years is actually American Idol, believe it or not. Oh, cool. So the family That's a loves, fun tradition. The family loves yeah. American Idol. And but when it gets to the top 24, we have a draft. Okay. And <laughs> nice. I've probably won three of the last four years. So my <laughs> musical talent scouting abilities are- There you, there are, you go. Yeah. Are, Deloitte, are influ solid. Deloitte influencers. I can see it now. Uh, yeah. The, I'd say Twitter, I'm on Twitter in between meetings pretty regularly because I'm really happy with the curation I've done with people to follow around news, sports, culture, you know, all the above. And so I find- I feel like in a seven minute burst between things, I can get fuel from the outside world through a well curated Twitter feed. Right. That is curation troll, is troll key. Free, troll free. Yeah. Troll uh, free and curation yeah, is key on yeah. Twitter or any it, social platform. Yeah. And then I'm definitely listening to a bunch of podcasts. So there's probably five or six podcasts I have in every week rotation. You know, that's a combination of tech and leadership and sports. In terms of reading, I like long-form journalism. So I do read stuff from New Yorker. I do read stuff from The Athletic, which I think is the best sports journalism happening right now. And I gladly pay for subscriptions to a bunch of the top journalism. And so I'm doing that. And then I don't read business books or traditional business books. I find I don't like people telling me the leadership lessons that I should learn or the strategy lessons I should learn, but I'll read biographies because I can um, see more of the action, and see more of the action yeah. than I can, than I can apply. And then I try to read books that push me into cultural frontiers that are less familiar to me. So this, 
you know, I loved, and I told my whole practice to read it. I loved Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson's book about sort of the criminal justice systems and its inequality in the U.S. And they just made into a movie um, over the winter. And to me, that illuminated parts of society that I, based on my experience, my background, they're less familiar to me. And I think all of us in the world, but particularly those of us who have the responsibility and the privilege to lead large teams, boy, if there's anything I wish people did more of, it's seek to experience and understand cultures that aren't familiar to you, whether it's yeah, global cultures, more. different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, people of different gender identities than you, people of different sexual orientations than you. Boy, spending time however you can, sometimes it's spending time with people from those experiences and demographics. Some of it's like I talked about just mercy reading, but I've grown more as a leader through intentionally experiencing other cultures than anything else I've done. Hey, everybody. We're taking a time out to thank Trinet for sponsoring independent media like Mission Daily. If there's one thing I am about, and in fact, one thing the whole mission team is about, you know it's accelerated learning. One way I do that is by learning from the best. When it comes to learning about HR, the team and resources Trinet provides are my go-to source. Just this week, Trinet published a blog and webinar series to help small and medium-sized businesses manage the impact of COVID-19. It covers actions you can take to be prepared should one of your employees test positive for coronavirus. It also covers other factors you should consider, including employee compensation, if your business is required to shut down due to the pandemic. There's lots happening now in real time. Go to Trinet.com and get the information you need to protect your business. Trinet will continue to post the latest as recommendations as legislation is changing on a daily basis. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a key to kind of end some of the divisiveness and silly things that we have going on now where it's, we have a pretty good setup still here in America and like we can, you know, keep, keep things like rolling and that empathy and that putting yourself in other people's shoes is, you know, we can all do more of it. And when it comes to doing that, are there any initiatives that you're spearheading or that Deloitte's doing to kind of like, you know, put that in action or get involved more with that? There are, there are so many ways. I mean, we're directing skills-based volunteering that we're doing to underserved communities and places that we don't typically, you know, work so that our people are helping experience and work in those communities. We're setting up our sort of mentoring programs within the team to match mentors that don't look like one another with each other so that people can ex- start to experience, you know, different cultures. But, and then I'm trying to use the platform and I'll use the Just Mercy example again. The fact that, you know, I shared that book recommendation with a bunch of people and talked to the entire team about how it moved me and what it meant to me and what I learned that I didn't understand and was ignorant about before. To me, that helps spark greater comfort for other people to be vulnerable and, you know, and have those conversations. And then we had a meeting, our whole management team a few months ago, and we spent time with the folks from the human rights campaign talking about, you know, gender pronouns. And, you know, there it's a topic that's uncomfortable for you know, many folks and, and you left that conversation an hour later, far richer in an understanding of the nuances and the contexts that, you know, people are experiencing that 
wouldn't happen otherwise. So I, I think it does not happen organically. It requires intention. And that's where I think a lot of people have it wrong is just being a good person with good values doesn't give you automatically the experiences and the cultural awareness you need, in my mind, to be a great leader. Yeah, and I think the key word there is vulnerability because you're, you know, you've got to put yourself out there. It doesn't necessarily feel comfortable at first and it's a scary experience when you're getting involved. You don't want to say or do the wrong thing, but vulnerability is a key component to any culture. Would you say that's one of the key components at Deloitte Culture? Are there any other, you know, key words you like to stress or things that you like to make sure that your culture is aware of? Vulnerability, incredibly important. Authenticity, which goes along with vulnerability, incredibly important. Empathy, you know, for sure. And then the soul of our firm, the soul of our partnership is about service. It's about service to clients. It's about service to communities. It's about service to your fellow consultants. And that ethos of service is at the center of our culture, which means that humility beats arrogance every day at our firm. And that's the kind of place I want to be, where we identify arrogance, we chew it up, we spit it out, and humility reigns. Yeah. Best way to get answers. Best way to stumble on the new solutions when you're listening. And when it comes to listening or other things that you've done throughout your career that helped you get to where you're at now, what are there any key things or key stories that you think really helped propel you forward or helped you get where you're at today? Well, first of all, the only way you, quote, get to where you're at today is an intersection of sponsorship and luck. Like, let's be really clear. I have had immense mentors who have invested in me, taken chances on me, believed in me in ways that I would never have envisioned being believed in. And then you have to have luck. You have to you have to be the person who happens to join the team that's going to start the government business at Deloitte when it's tiny because you're going to get greater opportunities to demonstrate your potential than you would in a more steady state, already at scale business in the firm. So the intersection of sponsorship and luck is, in my mind, the key recipe. If there's one piece of memorable advice I've received that I try to pass on, it's someone that reminded me that there's graveyards full of indispensable people. And well, what does that mean? What it means is be very careful about trying to, in whatever situation you're in, make yourself so indispensable that it becomes about you. And when the time comes that you want to move on and do something different, that the, the situation's in peril, it's... Uh, paralyzed because the organization doesn't believe that the people around you are capable of picking up for you when you're gone because you've made yourself so indispensable. And I think people wrongly try to pursue personal indispensability when they ought to be pursuing team indispensability. Wise words. Seems like that's a trap that I guess so many of us are blind to. And Deloitte is everywhere, I guess, or, you know, how, how many offices? Deloitte is everywhere. Like, it, it, it feels like that when you're in the airport or anything, or you're, you're traveling, just how much travel are you doing? And like, can you paint a scale of, uh, or paint a picture of the scale and scope of the businesses now? Yeah. So De Deloitte's a, a global business that's operating in, you know, all the regions in the world and economic centers in the world. And 
it's a really cool firm in that we combine a bunch of capabilities together under one roof that include, you know, audit and accounting and tax and cyber and risk with this robust technology and strategy and uh, human capital consulting business. And so the types of problems that we get invited to help our clients solve are highly varied, which is so fun. And that's why you feel Deloitte's everywhere, because I like to think we're in the business of ambition delivery. And we're finding clients all over the world that have incredibly profound, incredibly bold, incredibly important ambition. And our job is to do whatever it takes to help them achieve that ambition. And so we'll deliver it. And that's how we get to the the great scale. Look, in an average year, I'm in uh, your home great state of California many times because a lot of the tech centricity that is in California is really important to our business. A lot of the you know key enterprise software players that are really important to our business and key partners are here. I'm probably in Europe a few times a year, Asia a couple times a year. India is a huge part of my team. I've I have, you know, many tens of thousands of people in India who are core parts of our team. And so I love going over there and visiting, visiting the team. But the ability to work remotely is becoming easier and easier every day. And so my ratio of video conferences to in-person meetings has changed dramatically, even in the last 18 months, as the technology's gotten better and as we've gotten more comfortable as a culture, that you can have an intimate conversation with someone from across the screen. That's uh, very impactful, I guess, especially for consulting. And the rate at which it's accelerating is, I think it's got to be exciting for a company like Deloitte. Are there any key stories from your career about mentors or sponsorship that maybe you want to tell from, maybe give a shout out to someone out there, but when did you get a hand when you really needed it? Yeah, I hate to identify one person, but I, <laughs> but I will. Um, and it's, it's my my good friend, now retired John Gibbons, who is sitting in somewhere in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening to this podcast, probably in an ugly yellow and black, either Penguins or Steelers or Pirates outfit. <laughs> so he's there. But, but John was a mentor who he said to me, he called me into his office one afternoon and said to me, I want you to go lead this business over here. And this business over here, I had nothing to do with. It was certainly a, a group of people that I respected and appreciated. But if you'd listed the top 30 things I thought I would be doing next, it wasn't on the list. Not even on the radar. And it was certainly both a surprise, but also an incredible compliment of his trust that he believed that I could go into this unfamiliar territory and make a difference. And that compliment of trust sticks with me for a long time. And I think it's a compliment of trust that I try to apply to lots of people in my own career. I happen to be a Bengals and a Reds fan. So John and I struggle with the, the, the sports rivalries there. But as I said, you know, sponsorship and luck are the ingredients for you know, career advancement, I think, in many ways. And there are five or six John Gibbons that have had that kind of impact on me. And for that, I am more fortunate than I should be. And 
When you think about the future for Deloitte, are there any initiatives or can you maybe share some of what your visions are for the company over, you know, we're out of the quarterly mindset here. So maybe for the next like couple years or five years? Yeah. So let's talk big picture. I think the professional services industry is at a major time of disruption. And that's because no longer is having smart people the only differentiator. It has to be smart people combined with intellectual property, data, technology platforms. It needs to be an integrated package that we're bringing to our clients. So that's super exciting is how do we take the firm to a place where people combine with stuff, whether that stuff is, again, technology, data, IP, that's the future. And so that's that's super exciting. Second thing that's really exciting is the globalization of our industry and the globalization of our clients and the opportunity to see an impact echo across the world. Certainly, I believe over the next three to five years, Asia becomes increasingly an economic center of the world and figuring out how we configure ourselves to win in Asia is super important to us. So those are a couple of things that are top of mind. And then what gets me the most excited is essentially two things. One is how can we be the most influential and responsible consulting firm in the world? It's the intersection of those two things. Influential meaning the world's most important problems, whether those are in healthcare or they're in regulation or they're in urban living or they're in choose your favorite mission, the you know renewables and energy, those big societal issues, our voice needs to be in those conversations. That's influential, but responsible means that we're going to do that in a way that benefits society. We're going to do that in a way that we stand for something that's really mm -hmm. important. And so influence and responsibility. And the last thing is I want to push so that unambiguously, we provide the number one talent experience for everyone on our team every day. And that means you got to be the most diverse, you got to be the most inclusive, you got to be the most collaborative, and you have to have the highest integrity of any workforce in the country or in the world. And then you also have to laugh and have fun all, along the way. And this notion that I'm fond of saying, and there's a little handwritten sign in my office that says fun with purpose, in many ways, if I were to boil down what I hope, um, what I believe the firm is and what I want us to become always in the future is a group that has fun, but always with purpose. Yeah. Laughing isn't going to go out of style anytime <laughs> soon. That's for sure. And you're doing a lot. You're staying busy. When it comes to vacation or taking some extended time, time off or mini sabbaticals or anything like that, do you take any? How much do you take? You know, you don't want to get into specifics. That's okay. But what's your process like there? I've never taken a mini sabbatical. Yeah. I would argue that every fall when I am doing sports broadcasting regularly there is go. a little bit of my form of a sabbatical, even yeah. though it's intermittent in the workday, I'm immersing myself in a different environment, yeah. which is which provides great intellectual freedom. By the way, the Georgetown team that I played for and broadcast for today won the national championship this year for the first time. Congrats. So surprised you're not horse. <laughs> I was horse yeah. uh, okay, gotcha. back in <laughs> I was horse back in December for sure. So And I imagine that's kind of like a flow state, right? Where you're, you know, you've been doing it for so long, you're a player yourself, you're playing varsity soccer there. So 
would you describe it as such when you're like really getting into it and watching watching the I game? Would, I would describe it as yeah. a flow state. Yeah. And it's good to be in a flow state for sure. You know, every once in a while. The favorite family vacation activity is hiking. Now, the four kids would say that my favorite va- vacation <laughs> activity is hiking and they tolerate it. But yeah. Grand Canyon, Sedona, those places nice. are some of my fondest family memories of because that's that's real time. No phones, you know, six, yeah. eight, ten hours a day. That's real bonding. And that real bonding is, you know, it's worth its weight. So important. Dan, when you are thinking about your career or your life, you're a confident guy, but have there been any dark nights of the soul? And if so, how'd you get through those? Dark nights of the soul is is a big statement. I can't come up with dark nights of the soul. I have certainly had moments where you question whether you're contributing enough to all the different people and all the different platforms that have expectations of you, right? And that includes nonprofits that you support. It includes friends that you have. It includes, you know, my large extended family. It includes my kids. It includes my clients. It includes, you know, my parents. And so there have been times and there still are times where you take stock and say, boy, have I bitten off more than I should have? And am I meeting the expectations of all these constituencies that I have deep love for? And, you know, I think those are important soul searching times because in all of those moments, I at least find some areas to tweak on the margins in terms of how I spend my time. But I also come back to the point that I think what I'm doing is meaningful. And I think it's in service to the best I can of that set of broad constituencies. And so after that soul searching comes confidence and empowerment to continue the journey that I'm on. And when it comes to that journey that you're on, you're still, you're young, you're, you know, you're 21 years into your adventure at Deloitte. What really keeps you going now? Obviously there's a lot going on and it's exciting, but you know, what things throughout the day, the week, the month, like, what do you really look forward to at work? There is nothing I look forward to more than seeing evidence that the investment I've made has paid off in a life or career achievement for someone. And, you know, what I am motivated above all else by impacting the greatest number of people I can. And so when I, maybe I have a direct one-on-one relationship with someone that I'm sponsoring very directly and they achieve some momentous thing in their life or career, like that gives me incredible joy. But you know what gives me just as much joy is when I run into someone that I've never met before and they tell me, an email you sent to the entire practice six months ago had a profound impact on me. And I went and I didn't believe that I could take the multi-year, the multi-week vacation that I thought I was going to take. But you gave me the confidence in the way you articulated you know, your vision for our culture to do that. And that three weeks was totally transformative to me and got me into a new place in life. I decided to move and you know, sort of change the way I was spending my time. That is 
incredible because what a gift to be able to have a platform like the one I'm fortunate to have now where you can create impact for people's lives that you don't even know. And that to me is the fuel that keeps me going and gets me excited for what different impacts on different people can I have for the next 21 years? Yeah, I love that. And when you're sending those messages and communicating with such a large team at scale, are you relying, you know, you alluded to email, are you focusing on email? Do you do video messages? I'm curious, what does that process look like of saying hello and kind of encouraging 56,000 people? Yeah, we're experimenting with a lot of different stuff. So we do internal podcasts. I am a prolific writer. So I... I ignore all the advice that my team gives me that people supposedly don't read and won't read past the second paragraph. So when I decide to write... The right ones do. When I decide to write, I write in longer form. Sure. And then I am doing a lot more video. And I'm doing a combination of little two-minute video, you know, vignettes straight from me. Or, you know, I might do a, like a highlight video of a major event where... Think of it as like a 60 minutes type piece with a narrator that doesn't have that high a production value, but <laughs> that has a you know some B-roll and some live shots from an event and some interviews and then some narration. So we're trying that. We're trying some of those techniques too to keep it fresh. But my belief is communication experimentation is awesome. And we spend too much time trying to perfect. Uh, long-held forms of corporate communication and we ought to be experimenting all the time. So I'm experimenting all the time. That's exciting. And you're experimenting with these mediums. You're doing things at the forefronts of digital transformation and M&A and all kinds of crazy stuff abroad. Are there any projects that you're starting to see more of at Deloitte that are kind of on maybe like the bleeding edge of like machine learning or AI research? What's kind of starting to reach a critical mass where you're, you know, what trends have your attention, I guess? Yeah. So I think artificial intelligence, which, you know, of which I'd put machine learning in that bucket and cloud are not bleeding edge. They are ubiquitous. 80% of the things we're doing with clients already have those as core components of them. So I'm spending a lot of time on the practical applications of artificial intelligence in a lot of different aspects. And obviously we're seeing so many of the enterprises we serve, you know, taking their business either public or private cloud. So those are trends and they get a lot of my time, you know, in the future. The things I'm really interested in are the applications of those transformative technologies to interesting societal issues. So the future of health, like that's what I'm spending a lot of time on because now that we have you know, sort of software as a medical device. Now that you have the ubiquitous technology that we have, what we can do and the way healthcare can be provided, the way you can regulate your own care, the possibilities are endless. The future of cities, super interesting in an era of future cities. We have a podcast about it. Like so, so, so fascinating. So, you know, all the dimensions of urban living from sanitation to transportation to education, there's so many dimensions that are unlocked by the power of some of these technologies that are now approachable. Mm -hmm. The future of, you know, automotive and mobility, fascinating. So those are the issues that, you know, I and our team are spending a lot of time on because that's our sweet spot. How do you take 
technology and strategy change in the world and apply it in ways that can transform things that affect people on an everyday basis. Cool. Dan, this has been awesome. You've been super generous with your time. I was hoping you could leave our listeners with one more, maybe call to action or story or a piece of advice. But yeah, the mic's yours. Boy, one more piece of advice is don't take yourself too seriously and don't get so caught up in defining the objective of your journey as some tangible achievement of a career milestone that you miss the opportunities that will be in your side view mirrors and around your consciousness as your career evolves, because those are some of the things that will give you the biggest gifts of growth, the biggest gifts of development, and will unlock pathways for your career that you can't even envision in the moment. Wise words. Dan, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers. As the founder of a growing media business, there are two things I need. Less worry, please, and more confidence. It wasn't until I got confident about outsourcing my HR to Trinet that I was able to reduce my worry. Once I reduced my worries about HR compliance, I was able to sleep better, literally. If you want to get more confident with HR, check out Trinet today. Your team deserves a leader who isn't worried about stuff they should be outsourcing to the professionals. Now, I outsource my HR challenges to the professionals at Trinet, and I couldn't be happier. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.